Well, hello there. Welcome back to another edition of the My Two Cents Podcast. And this is the reviews of WWE's Payback and AEW's All Out. I am here to talk about both of these shows as well as talk to you only a little bit about the CM Punk situation. And I'll get into that before I talk about AEW All Out because Punk situation kind of affects All Out a little bit. But um, yeah, you see how long the episode is, so I'm not going to kind of kill you off here. So let's just start off with the show. So to start us off, we will have Payback. Payback will open up with a steel cage match. Becky Lynch going against Trish Stratus. This is their ending of their feud matchup here. And they will end it off on a high note because Becky would win the match by pinfall by delivering a super manhandle slam from the top turnbuckle onto Trish to win their steel cage match. Now, after the match, Zoe Starks and Trish, they would be left in the cage. Zoe would try to help Trish up to her feet and talk to Trish to try to calm her down. Uh, Trish would tell Zoe to leave the cage. Zoe would insist on trying to talk to Trish, but Trish would not be satisfied with Zoe, and she would slap Zoe across the face. Now, Zoe would take this personally. Zoe would walk over to the cage door, act like she's going to leave, but she would just shut the cage door, having herself and Trish now inside the cage. Now, Zoe will go over to Trish, and then she would hit her with a Z360 and take off the Thank You Trish shirt and throw it on to Trish and leave the cage. This was a great opening matchup for Payback. Um, this match was better than a lot of people gave it credit for, even myself. I didn't know what type of uh, style or match we were going to get here from Trish and Becky because every time that they had a match, it was always something not clicking, but everything was ringing off with these two ladies. Um, a couple of highlights of this match would be um, Becky and Trish going back and forth, smashing each other's head um, on the cage sidings. Uh, Trish using Victoria's Widow's Peak, and Becky would return the favor by hitting Trish with a twist of fate. Trish using Victoria's Widow Peak was a nice uh, shout-out to Victoria, and Becky repaying the favor with a twist of fate from Lita. Again, nice shout-out for both the ladies on to uh, former competitors that they have went against in their time in WWE. Um, Trish and Becky will leave the match with bruises, especially Trish. Trish... At one point, you could just see on the camera, she has a big old knot on her forehead. And I don't know how she got that. It's probably from her head bouncing off the uh, cage sightings many times. Or probably Becky kicked her in the head, forehead, or punched her in the forehead. I don't know. But, man, you cannot say that Trish was phoning this in or Becky was phoning this in tonight. No, those two were really going completely balls to the walls um, to start off payback. Even there was a spot where Trish was climbing up the top of the cage and Becky would stop Trish from leaving and Becky and Trish would uh, throw punches here and there and Becky would get Trish to the point that she would be able to hit a superplex off the top turnbuckle and Trish's legs were like coming off of the cage. So it was a big time like superplex and it was a gnarly superplex to be honest with you again. Nobody knew how hard these two ladies were going to go, and they just threw everything at one another in this steel cage match. It really uh, set the tone for the rest of the pay-per-view, to be honest with you. Everybody else had to follow this match. And also, before I forget, Zoe Stark, she did interfere in the match when uh, Becky did hit a manhandle slam on Trish. Zoe would break into the cage and break up the pin and then go after Becky, and obviously that didn't work because Becky would win the match. So... Again, those are the highlights, but I would suggest go check out the pay-per-view. Go check out the steel cage match so you can see Becky and Trish just go completely just balls to the walls and have a great match. Now, next up will be John Cena. John Cena will come to the ring, and since he is hosting Payback, John will list uh, a bunch of nicknames that he's had throughout his career and says nothing compares to hosting a pay-per-view slash premium live event. John will say that he can't wait to be the special guest referee for the Miz and LA Knights match because he has been watching the situation more uh, focused and more clearly. And this will have the Miz come out and complain about it. This will turn into a back and forth situation between John Cena and the Miz. And ultimately, still, John Cena is going to be the special guest referee for Miz and LA Knights match. And speaking of, that match will be next. So LA Knight comes out. Miz and LA Knight will have a standard match. And LA Knight would win the match by pinfall, hitting the BFT. 
Um, there will be moments in this match where John had to interject himself in, wherein LA Knight and The Miz at different times will be stomping out one another in the corner, and John will have to pull them off of each other, and you would get a moment where Miz would get in John's face, and that's cut to like be expected because Miz and John they have this rivalry for years. And LA Knight, when John would pull Knight off of Miz, Knight would just look at John and he would talk trash to John. And John just being the referee says, Hey, you had to count of five, you got to get off of Miz. And it just seems that we're might be getting a match set up between John and LA Knight. At least that's the type of tension that we were getting from this. Um, another time John would have to interject himself was when Miz would get uh, LA Knight in a roll-up and Miz would hold the ropes. John would kick Miz's hands off the ropes. And again, John was playing an impartial referee, calling it right down the middle. And LA Knight will win. Solid, standard match, to be completely honest with you. Nothing really to uh, ride home about. The biggest thing to really take out of this is that LA Knight got the John Cena stamp of approval, not just from the fans like cheering for LA Knight, but in the segment with John Cena and the Miz towards the end of it, you would get the whole, yeah, no exchange between John Cena and the Miz. And then even after the match, uh, John was on the entrance stage. LA Knight will walk up the stage. John and LA Knight will have a like stare down with, between each other. Uh, John would extend his hand out. LA Knight will talk trash a little bit. John will say, hey, that was all a part of the match. You've earned my respect. And LA Knight will shake John's hand, raise uh, LA Knight's hand in victory on the stage and say, this is your moment. And John will leave so LA Knight can have the spotlight. So LA Knight has John Cena's stamp of approval. And it's good to see LA Knight get that stamp from John because John Cena still holds a lot of weight in WWE, to be completely honest. So for LA Knight to get that, that's just a good and wonderful feeling. So hopefully LA Knight goes on to bigger and better things now that he's done with The Miz, at least I hope. Now, next up, the United States Championship matchup. Rey Mysterio going against Austin Theory. Rey would retain his championship by pinfall by countering the A-Town down into a roll-through pin for the win. Again, another solid match between uh, Rey and Theory. This seems like a match that could have been on a SmackDown. I mean, there's nothing more to be said about this. I think everybody knew Rey was going to win it. Everybody's waiting for Rey and Santos to have their little situation. Again, people want Santos to turn on Rey Mysterio. Because Santos was supposed to have that United States Championship opportunity against Austin Theory. That's kind of how the wrestling tropes usually goes in wrestling. So, Ray retaining against Theory, it was to be expected. But the thing is now, what's Theory up to? What's Theory going to do? What is next in line for Theory? I don't know. Theory and uh, Grayson Waller might become a tag team. Maybe. Seems like they might have some good chemistry because two obnoxious, self-centered type guys just teaming together. It kind of works every single time, but I'm not certain if they want to go that direction with um, Austin Theory or even with Grayson Waller, to be honest. But we'll have to wait and see. Next up, I will say the match of the night, the Steel City Street fight for the Undisputed Tag Team Championships. We have the champions Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn going against the challengers, Judgment Days, um, Finn Balor and Damian Priest. The Judgment Day will become the new tag team champions when Finn Balor would miss the coup de grace. Sami will hit. Finn would explode a suplex, then hit him with the Huluva kick. Sammy would cover Finn, and Dominic Mysterio would appear and hit Sammy in the head with the Money in the Bank briefcase. And then Finn would cover Sammy to win the championships, and now the Judgment Day hold gold. Uh, weapons that were used in this match were steel chairs, uh, trash cans, kindle sticks, tables that Dom and Finn Balor would go through. Um, a couple highlights of this match was there was a moment in this match where Finn... Damian Priest and Dom had just tossed Sammy and Kevin Owens over a barricade that were that they were already fighting in the crowd. And you see this moment that the Judgment Day were talking amongst each other to talk about how they want to get Sammy and Kevin back into the ring and pin them to become champions. And then when they turn around, out from behind the barricade, we see Sammy and Kevin Owens dressed in uh, Penguins gear, basically just holding a hockey stick and wearing uh, NHL Penguins jerseys, and they start beating up on the Judgment Day with the hockey sticks. There was another moment where Priest would hit Sammy with a Falcon Arrow on four chairs that were set up. Uh, Kevin Owens would hit Dominic Mysterio with a Swanton from the guardrail, well, crowd guardrail, and crash Dominic through a table. And again, this is real reminiscence 
of a flashback of, I believe it was Jeff Hardy performing this exact maneuver in 2002, Survivor Series. If you don't know, go back in Survivor Series 2002, you see the match of Jeff doing this, and you'll get the exact imagery of this. Um, J.D. McDonough, he wouldn't interfere, and he would pull Sammy uh, Zayn out of the ring when Sammy would hit Priest with a Luva kick earlier in the matchup, so that's how J.D. comes in. Uh, Rhea Ripley, she will also interfere by spearing Kevin Owens through the barricade. I mean, this whole thing was absolute chaos and bedlam. At one point, uh, Kevin Owens was bleeding. He also wore a Terry Funk shirt, so he paid tribute to Terry Funk, and everything was just so chaotic, and I loved it. The fans loved it. Everybody just loved the chaoticness of this, and also to add to it, you have the Judgment Day now holding tag team gold. So everybody in the Judgment Day kind of walks out with championship gold. You have Rhea as the women's uh, world champion. You have Dom still the North American champion. You have Finn and Priest still as the tag team champions. And Damian Priest still the money in the bank holder. So he can cash that in at any time. It just looked like a good picture for the Judgment Day. And it felt right, to be honest, for all the hard work that the Judgment Day had to rebuild after uh kicking Edge out last year and then kind of losing Rhea for a little bit and it was just nothing but Finn and Priest constantly doing their thing until uh, they recruited Dominic and then they got Rhea back into in-ring capacity to actually move around and do what she had to do for the Judgment Day to come back as full capacity. So the Judgment Day, they've been working hard on this unit and on this stable to really uh, be a force for WWE on the Raw roster. So it's a good feeling to see all that hard work pay off for the Judgment Day, and it was good. And also, hopefully, the tag team titles get propped up more since Sammy and Kevin Owens had it, and this is no far fault of their own. It always has something to do with creative. The tag team titles hasn't felt as important as it should have been, especially since the Usos hold them, and they were part of the whole Bloodline situation, and they were having tag team matches at least, if not monthly on the pay-per-views, like on the SmackDowns, and they made them worth something. The tag team titles have kind of been devalued since then, so hopefully now with the Judgment Day having them, and everybody kind of hating the Judgment Day, we get some important matches, and the tag team titles get built back into the relevancy that they were when the Usos had them. And speaking of the Usos, we'll go over to the Grayson Waller effect, and Cody Rose is the special guest referee. Cody wouldn't have any of Grayson Waller's uh, nonsense he says, man, you come out here, you do your little shtick, try to get underneath my skin. What, you going to have me take off my suit, lay you out with a crossroads? Is that what the people want? Grayson Waller will have to back off of Cody and say, no, 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 I'm a professional. And he says, okay, you asked me for your time on my show. What do you want? Cody will say he's here to give Grayson the scoop. And the scoop is, is that he used whatever uh, political stroke that he had to bring Jay Uso over to the Raw roster. So Jay Uso will come out. Uh, Jay Uso's here. Grayson Waller would say, okay, you've been a tag team wrestler all this time, but you have never accomplished anything as a singles competitor. What happened if you are bust? And he would make some sly cracks at Jay. Jay would super kick Grayson, and that's how the segment will end. So Jay Uso's now on the Raw roster, and it seems that we're starting to at least see the puzzle come together and see how we're going to get Cody versus Roman again at WrestleMania 40, especially with Cody again in Injecting his nose into the bloodline business. So it seems that's where we might be going again at WrestleMania 30, Cody versus Roman. But we'll have to wait and see as time would uh, seem to pass. Now, next up, Women's World Championship matchup. Rhea Ripley defending her title against Raquel Rodriguez. Uh, Rhea will retain her championship by pinfall by hitting the riptide. Thanks to Dominic coming down to the ring. Once towards the end of the match, it seemed Rhea was in control. Dominic would come down. He would hold Rhea's arms. Rhea would drag Dominic in as Raquel's dry, dragging uh, Rhea into the ring. Raquel would go after Dom, and Raquel would hit Dom with a, uh, God, what's it called? A power slam. And then Rhea would take advantage of this, chop block uh, Raquel behind the knee, kick her in the head with a capoeira kick, and then hit the riptide for the win. This right here was a solid match. This was another that could have been on a Monday Night Raw, but um, it was good for Rhea and Raquel to have this type of pressure on them in a premium live event so they can work on their game next time they're up to bat 
in this type of situation. Um, I think where this match kind of got lost is whenever they stopped trying to do like strong woman uh, activities. Like Rhea and Raquel, they're both just like strong women. They're part of the strongest women that's literally on that raw roster or the women's roster in general. You got Raquel, you got Rhea, you got Bianca Belair. Um, do drop even her. But I mean, like those are like the strongest women on the roster. And for you to have two of them in the same match, you would think you would just get two girls just are slugging it out and just throwing each other. You didn't get that here. You had uh, portions of the match where it would be that, but some of the portions, it wouldn't be that. And also with Raquel having a bad leg, you would think Rhea would go after it more. No, Rhea didn't go after it until like later in the match. So, eh, I mean, again... It was a hit or miss type deal. It was another match that I felt they could have been on the Monday Night Raw. But again, it was good for Rhea and Raquel to have this uh, match here. I stated that already, and I still stand to that. So hopefully next time, again, whenever the match is of importance just like this, they will do more uh, physically like throwing each other around. That's what I'm hoping for, to be honest with you. So with that, we go off to our main event for the World Heavyweight Championship. We have Seth Rollins going against uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. Seth will retain his championship by pitfall by hitting a curb stomp after reversing a pin attempt from Nakamura. Um, solid match. Another one. This match here, the whole story was Nakamura was supposed to go after Seth's back. Again, another one that we didn't really get a lot of working over the back. Seth was making sure Shinsuke wasn't able to touch him, but with Shinsuke having targeted Seth's back for the countless of weeks that uh, Nakamura did so, you would think that he was... That was his game plan, but no, you didn't get to that game plan until like legit towards the end of the match. And again, this was this whole rivalry was all about Nakamura beating Seth for the wide championship. But also the main thing was targeting Seth's back because Seth has a weak back. We didn't get that, but we did, however, get a lot of crap talking from Seth. The type of crap talking that you would get from a Roman Reigns during his matches here. Again, we got the Seth athleticism and still Seth was able to work his style. But Seth was talking a lot of crap to Nakamura. And it just was reminiscent of Roman Reigns. And that's the kind of stuff that Seth was not trying to do. He was always the wrestle type of guy. Never the talk trash type of guy during his matches. So for Seth to pull that off here against Nakamura. I like that he added that here. Hopefully this isn't just a one time deal of Seth talking trash to someone that was disrespecting him in his matches. Hopefully we get more of that. But uh, time will tell with that. But again, this was another match that was... Just solid. It felt like it should have been more. And uh, yeah, it just is what it is. Hopefully, Seth and Nakamura they continue this. And uh, again, I still am of the belief that Gunther, he will beat the Honky Tonk Man's record. He'll lose the title. Then he'll go after Seth and start like chopping Seth in the back and win the World Heavyweight Championship. At least that's my idea of what should happen next with Seth and the World Heavyweight Championship going forward. But We'll just have to wait and see, but as I said before, payback, solid pay-per-view. Some of the matches could have been on Raw's, but it was solid for what it was worth. But again, the match of the night for me was the street fight. Second match was the steel cage. Everything else was solid. So with that, we now move over into AEW's All Out. However, before I do get to All Out, I do have to mention this. As I said in the opening of this episode here, I will get to talk about the CM Punk situation and how that kind of played into what happened uh, at All Out here. Um, CM Punk, he would be released by AEW uh, Saturday. Tony Khan will put out an official statement um, from his Twitter page, and CM Punk's gone from AEW. It is what it is in that one. Um, He would come out on Collision the night of the day before All Out, and he would... Before the cameras were even roll, he was out there talking to the live crowd and explaining exactly why uh, he had to release CM Punk. And then once the actual cameras came on and it actually showed on television, uh, Tony Khan would be backstage. He would tell the people at home why he had to cut CM Punk. And again, CM Punk is gone from AEW. It kind of had a downer uh, type of feeling and... The first thing that happened on Collision was um, Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks, he came out, and Ricky Starks was supposed to call out Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for a strap match that's supposed to go down at All Out. And you could tell in Ricky Starks, the way that he 
even talked, he was bummed out and Ricky tries to make the best of it, but you could just tell from the way that he was speaking, he was hurt because he wanted to actually face CM Punk and actually finish the story with CM Punk at All Out, but that kind of got dropped in dead. So instead of Ricky Starks going against CM Punk, he would get Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson uh, came back on Collision and he signed the contract to face Ricky Starks at All Out in the Strap Match, which I'm going to get to. And again, this was a upgrade in my opinion because CM Punk, he's able to move around in certain instances, but Brian Danielson, he's able to move around and everywhere. He's able to do the speed, able to keep up with the younger generation and do their stuff and everything like that. Um, again, Punk's gone. Everybody had their own opinions about that. Only thing I will say that to that is this. Um, I would say go back and watch some of his stuff in AEW. Appreciate the time that he was there. Uh, appreciate the positives, not so much the negatives. And that's about it. So let's go on with uh, All Out. All Out will open up with the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship matchup of Better Than You, Baby, going against Dark Order. This whole thing, the meat of the match was playing into MJF's uh, neck problems and neck issues that he had since he went against Adam Cole last week at All Out. Well, All In, excuse me. So Dark Order would take advantage of this. And at one point, Alex Reynolds would hit MJF in the back of the neck with the chair. And this would allow MJF to be out of the match. So Adam would have to power through in a basically two-on-one style of matchup here until MJF would walk his way back to the ring and help Adam Cole out. MJF would hit Dark Order with the kangaroo kick. And then MJF and Adam would hit their double clothesline on Alex Reynolds to retain their Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships here. So solid match to open up all out here between uh, Dark Order and Better Than You, Bebe. We all knew that uh, Adam Cole and MJF were not going to drop the tag team titles, but to have them open up the show, it was refreshing in a way. Um, after the match, the medics would come down to look at MJF, who was still holding his neck. And MJF would roll out of the ring and walk up the ramp. He would like give the fans a thumbs up to let them know he's okay. And as he's walking up the ramp, the Ring of Honor television champion, Samoa Joe, would come down. And Samoa Joe's coming down because his match is up next. And as Joe would make his way down to the ramp, uh, Joe would push MJF to the side. And for people that don't know, this was an Easter egg or something that they harken back to because MJF, he wasn't... Uh, WWE Extra when Samoa Joe was in NXT as NXT champion in 2016. And this was during NXT TakeOver Brooklyn in 2016. And uh, Samoa Joe was making his way towards his match against Shinsuke Nakamura. And MGF was playing as a security guard. And there's a famous gif or meme of this of MGF trying to walk ahead of Samoa Joe. And Samoa Joe just kind of pushed MGF in the back whenever he was in WWE as extra in 2016. So Joe uh, doing this again years later with MGF being the top dog in AEW, it got the fans excited because we all know what's coming next. And once Joe does this, he would like have a smile on his face because he just punked out the world champion here. So Joe would walk towards the ring, get in the uh, ring, hold up the Ring of Honor TV championship to the crowd. And MGF not being a sucker, he would come in the ring and he would start battling with Samoa Joe. However, Samoa Joe would get the advantage of this and lock MGF in a standing guillotine choke. And now you have the medics and backstage personnel run down to the ring to separate Joe off of MGF and keep MGF away from Samoa Joe as Joe's supposed to have his match against Shane Taylor next. So once we get everything out of the way, MGF and Adam Cole and everybody's to the back, Shane Taylor will come out here. It's now Shane Taylor going against Samoa Joe for the Ring of Honor TV Championship. Samoa Joe would retain his championship by submission by locking in the Coquina Clutch, and Shane Taylor would tap out. This was a Haas fight. This was nothing but a striking matchup between two big men. This is exactly what you expected here. Um, this was a nice come-out party for Shane Taylor. If people are not aware of who Shane Taylor is or haven't been watching uh, Ring of Honor as of late or even during, like, before the pandemic time when Ring of Honor was owned by Sinclair Broadcasting in 2020, 2019, 2018, and Shane Taylor was the Ring of Honor TV champion. He was like a dominant TV champion. This was a solid match to get your eyes open because he gave Samojo a fight that not a lot of people was able to give Samojo. 
because Shane Taylor, he's a big guy. Same way like Samoa Joe. He was able to handle Samoa Joe. And at one point, Samoa Joe had the Coquina Clutch locked in. And Shane Taylor was able to hit a variation of Tower of London, which is a uh, cutter from uh, the top rope that he has to have his opponent's legs draped off the top turnbuckles and drop him with a cutter. He did that here with Samoa Joe. And again, solid match, solid two big men going at it, but Samojo is still your reigning Ring of Honor TV champion. But you can kind of tell where this is leading into Samojo with MGF. We might get a situation between the two. I wouldn't I wouldn't think MGF isn't gonna say something on AEW Dynamite this upcoming week about it. Because MGF isn't the type of guy to let things go like this, especially if somebody's trying to punk him out. So expect MGF to say something about Samojo on Dynamite. It hasn't been confirmed, but expect that. Now, next matchup was a TNT Championship matchup. Champion Luchasaurus with Christian Cage in his corner. Going against the challenger, Darby Allin, who have Nick Wayne in his corner. This match was just a straight-up beatdown. It was your David versus Goliath type of matchup here. Darby has his uh, ribs taped up. As he's going against Luchasaurus because of last week of doing the coffin drop on a coffin um, at All In. So Darby's kind of bandaged up Luchasaurus and Christian Cage. More importantly, knowing this, they wouldn't care. Luchasaurus would just start beating up on Darby constantly. At one point, Luchasaurus would swing Darby into the steel steps and Darby would start to bleed. Luchasaurus would place the steps on Darby's ribs and actually stand on the steps and walk up the steps to get into the ring. And towards the end of the match, as Darby's actually able to fight back, he's uh, able to hit a code red off the second turnbuckle and actually pin Luchasaurus, but Luchasaurus is able to kick out. And now the fans actually believe that Darby has a fighting chance and he probably could win the TNT Championship back. Darby would go for the coffin drop, but on the outside of the ring, Christian would hit Nick Wayne in the back with a chair, and this would set up a concerto. Darby would have to choose at this moment, does he go after Christian, or does he go after Luchasaurus to win the TNT Championship? And once Darby actually made the decision to go after Luchasaurus, it would kind of be too late, because Luchasaurus would uh, beat up on Darby, grab him, hit him with a German suplex, they hit two tombstones, pile drivers, and then sling him into the turnbuckles, then he would hit Darby behind the head with a clothesline to retain his championship. This, as I said before, great match for the TNT Championship. Uh, people just thought it was going to be a massacre. In a way, it kind of was because it was a David versus Goliath. But Darby was able to get some hits in. He was able to get some licks in. And he was actually able to make the people believe that he was going to win. And that's always something that you want with a David versus Goliath style match. Because you could tell from the height and the... A weight that obviously the big guy is supposed to beat the little guy, but with Darby Allen in the not gonna say cult fan base, but with the fan base that he has, that Jeff Hardy esque Sting s that it factor that Darby has in the way that he presents himself, um, the crowd is always loving Darby. The crowd is always going to have Darby's back, and they're always going to want to see Darby win. And Darby being able to be that throw around guy that just gets tossed around by everybody and somehow just has that fighting spirit in him to uh, combat it. It was good in this match with Luchasaurus. And a matter of fact, people didn't expect this match to be as good as it was. And it was extremely good. Um, after the match, Christian would slide in two chairs and Christian would put Darby's head on one of the chairs as he's looking to hit the concerto. Nick Wayne would try to come in, but Luchasaurus would have to grab Nick Wayne and Nick would have to watch as Christian's about to hit Darby, but multiple wrestlers from the back would run into the ring, making the save, making Christian and Luchasaurus leave the ring. So that's how we leave this here, and there you go. Next up, another Hoss-style matchup, Miro versus Powerhouse Hob. And just like Samojo and Shane Taylor, this match was just two big guys just absolutely just throwing everything at each other. It had the crowd chanting at different points, uh, different variations of meat slapping meat, just meat chants. And for the people that don't know what the meat chants are, WWE's Big E, when he was on a podcast with his uh, New Day brethren, he would say that he doesn't care about your five-star matches. He just wants two big dudes just battling it out, duking it out with each other. And he called it Big Meaty Men Slapping Meat. 
So that will make the rounds on the internet. Excalibur, will he say two big men slapping meat? The crowd is, uh, as I said, AEW, they play into the internet. They play into the wrestling crowd on the internet. So they know what's going to be chanted in a way. And you just got the fans here chanting different, as I said, different variations of big men slapping meat. And again, it sounds weird, but it makes sense when you see it all coming together because Miro and Powerhouse Hobbs, they were just beating every love and piss out of one another. Uh, they will fight inside the ring. They'll fight outside the ring, throw each other against the barricade. Uh, at one point, Powerhouse Hobbs, he will hit his spine buster and then put Miro down. And then he tries to go for the game over. Uh, Miro will counter out of that. Miro will hit a spine buster on Powerhouse Hobbs and then hit him with the game over. And Powerhouse Hobbs was able to get out of the game over. Then towards the end of the match, Hobbs would get into the game over and he would tap out. So Miro, he would beat Hobbs with a submission. And after the match, the crowd would give both men a standing ovation because, as I said, this was one hell of a match. Just two big hosses just beating the piss out of each other. And Hobbs, he would extend his hand out to Miro, and Miro would be skeptical of this, but he would shake Hobbs' hand because he respects him. Now, once both of the men get done shaking each other's hands, Hobbs would attack Miro from behind, and now you have... Hobbs beating up on Miro, he's choking Miro on the mat, and then music would play. We don't know who it is until the camera fixes itself over to the stage, and we see CJ Perry come out, formerly known as WWE's Lana, or better known as Miro's wife. So, CJ would come down to the ring, she would grab a chair and hit Powerhouse Hobbs in the back with the chair, dropping it. Hobbs would get up, look at CJ, and Hobbs would start moving closer over to CJ. Miro would get up, he would hit Hobbs in the back with the chair, and Hobbs would roll out of the ring. Now this will leave CJ and Miro in the ring. Miro will look at CJ, CJ will look at Miro smiling, and Miro, he would just leave the ring and start walking up the ramp by himself, leaving CJ in the ring, and Miro's wife, CJ, is just confused as what's going on. And Miro, his whole thing, since he's lost the TNT title, uh, I want to say about what? Two years ago, he's been on this whole crusade of, you know, I'm trying to find myself and having this battle with God and trying to stay away from uh, the temptations of God's pleasures. And he's abstaining from that. So he's trying to abstain from his wife. So I would like to see how they're going to mix his wife now into this, especially with the character that Miro's playing. But uh, CJ Perry being here with Miro, we kind of were expecting that. We were waiting for that for some time now. Uh, once she got released from WWE, we kind of expected for her to come to AEW, but it was like a year. She's been released from WWE, I think about a year, if not a year and a half, maybe. So for her now to be in AEW, it's just great for her to be with Miro. As a fan, it's great to see it because hopefully with her being a linebacker with Miro, when they actually do align those two back together, we can get the version of Miro that we wanted to see, the version of Miro that we got to see a little bit with the Redeemer, but the full power version of Miro and actually him taking out, if not winning the AEW World Championship, if not later this year, hopefully next year. Now, next matchup on the card was TBS Championship match. The TBS champion Chris Stanlander going against Ruby Soho, who had the AEW Women's Champion in her corner, Soraya. Ruby would uh, lose the match, thanks in part to Tony Storm, when Ruby would hit Chris with two of her finishers, Destination Unknown and the Riot Kick, and those two moves couldn't get the job done. Uh, Soraya would get on the apron to strike the referee. Ruby would get... Uh, the spray paint can and look to use it on Chris, but Tony would come from underneath the ring, grab the spray paint can away from Ruby and start spraying it in the air. This allowed Chris to hit Ruby with the Saturday Night Fever to win the matchup here. So Chris is still your TBS champion and we're having problems with the outcast. As it was kind of predicted here, Ruby and Soraya, they're good, but um, Tony, no, she's living in a delusional land ever since she lost the AEW Women's championship she's been just delusional she's been like this 1950s 1940s-esque woman just 
having a tantrum over any little thing. So right now she's kind of in that phase of this character that she's in. Again, it's still kind of still new for Tony and still new for the audience to really click on what she's doing. I mean, certain people have clicked. I know I want to see more of what Tony is doing before I actually can say I'm on board with it. But I'm kind of cool with what she's doing. I'm not fully all the way there yet because now we're adding the whole delusion into this. So we got to see where we go there. But Chris Stantlander versus Ruby Soho, it was a solid match. Um, they gave them time. Ruby looked like she was going to win when she hit both of her finishers. But when she didn't, I was like, okay, Chris was going to win. So, all right, cool. But Chris is still your TBS champion. Hopefully she defends it more now. And maybe we get Jay Cargill back to go against Chris for the TBS championship, maybe. Or we just get Jay to come back to go against Soraya for the Women's Championship later down the line, maybe. Or, just in case, we might get Mercedes Monet to go against Chris Stanley for the TBS Championship. Who wouldn't want that? So, we'll have to wait and see, but Chris is still your TBS champion. Next matchup, the strap match. Ricky Starks going against Brian Danielson. And Ricky the Dragon Steamboat will be on commentary for this. Uh, Brian Danielson, he will come out with his arm still wrapped up. I don't believe he's fully healed up all the way, but he also did come out with his final countdown music. So we got that from Brian Danielson here, and we got one hell of a strap match from Brian Danielson and Ricky Starks because before the match would even begin, and the referee would put the strap on uh, Brian's wrist, and it's time for Ricky to put the strap around his wrist, Ricky would leave the ring, he would take a trot around the ring um he would come in the ring attack brian danielson he would grab his own uh weight belt that he took to the ring and he started attacking brian with it even to the point that he would bust open brian with the weight belt before the match would begin and once brian got back in the ring ricky would put the other end of the strap around his wrist and now the match would officially begin um brian danielson and ricky they would beat the ever-loving piss out of each other with that strap here I mean, there will be points where Brian is getting whipped by Ricky, and then there's one point in the match where Brian just light up Ricky's back with the first strap just for Brian to hit Ricky. I mean, you heard that thing crack his back, and the whole arena heard it, and that thing sounded like a thunderous blow. And Ricky, I know there was no way you could sell that. That was official pain that he felt on his back. He felt all of that, like, sound. So Ricky gets hit with that, then he gets hit with multiple straps to the back, and Brian has Ricky starts now in the tree of woe, basically upside down, and Brian will hit Ricky in the mouth with the strap, and I know he does it by accident, but you're in wrestling, so you gotta constantly continue to keep going, but Ricky, he covers his mouth after he gets hit with the strap in his mouth. I know that had hurt, but um, continuing on, uh, Brian would bust open Ricky a little bit, but Brian Danielson, he is just bleeding in this matchup here. So Ricky, who will bleed a little bit, there'll be a point where Brian Danielson and Ricky starts to standing up and they're just staring at one another. Brian and Ricky would trade off, hitting each other in the chest with the strap. And again, this was a real brutal-esque matchup. And Brian Danielson, he would make Ricky pass out by locking into the bell lock by applying the strap around Ricky's neck. And Ricky, he would never tap out. He would just fade away and just drop. The referee would see it, call for the bell. Brian Danielson wins the matchup here. Brian Danielson is back, maybe. I can see, as I said before, when I talked about the CM Punk deal, um, with Brian Danielson coming here because Punk being fired and Ricky Starks needed an opponent because Ricky deserved this. Um, Brian getting the win, I wasn't too happy with it. I wanted Ricky to win because Ricky, as I said, he already went through some crap with Punk not being here because he got fired. And now he loses to Brian Danielson here. But however, the lighter, well, the brighter side of this is Ricky starts put on a hell of a match with Brian Danielson in a strap match. That's undeniable. Ricky Starks, hopefully, with this match being on his resume and people were cheering for Ricky Starks during after and in the middle of the match hopefully Ricky Starks is getting to a bigger position after this to be honest with you that's what I'm hoping for and that's what I'm reaching for but we'll have to wait and see on Dynamite and or Collision now so we'll have to wait and see next matchup Eddie Kingston and Shibata going against Claudio Castagnoli and Willa Yuta 
Claudio and Yuta would win this match by pinfall when Claudio would hit Eddie Kingston with the European uppercut. And that's it. This was a striking style matchup between uh, Shibata, Kingston, Yuta, and Claudio. Nothing much really to be said about this here. This just basically just furthers the storyline and the hatred that Eddie and Claudio has for one another. The highlight of it for me is Eddie Kingston coming down in a Terry Funk inspired uh, shirt of Claudio sucks eggs in the way that Terry Funk said that Dusty sucks eggs when Terry Funk was feuding with Dusty back in the day. So this was Eddie Kingston's way of paying tribute to Terry Funk. And to have two Terry Funk tributes back-to-back nights with KO doing one on uh, WWE Payback and Eddie Kingston doing one here on All Out, it was fine. It was great. But nothing really much to say about this tag team match, to be completely honest. Hopefully, it furthers the story between Eddie Kingston and Claudio and we get that title versus title matchup sometime soon. But we'll wait and see. Next matchup, Kenny Omega going against... Uh, Takeshita with Don Callis in Takeshita's corner. This match was truly a match between Don Callis' master plan of knowing Kenny Omega so much versus Kenny Omega's will of trying to best Don and his plan. This match was great for Takeshita just to beat the piss out of Omega because early in the match, Omega would uh, get hit with a backdrop driver by Takeshita and Omega would land on his shoulders slash neck region. So, it seems that Omega gets knocked loopy here. This will lead to Takeshita just constantly inflicting more damage on Omega's neck region. Also, with Takeshita having Don in his corner, Don would tell Takeshita about Kenny's injured midsection from the past. And there was a moment in the match where uh, Takeshita would hit Omega with a senton outside of the ring. And Omega had chairs on his midsection that Don placed there, so it added more damage to Omega's midsection. Omega would recover later in the match, start fighting back. He would hit multiple Snapdragon suplexes. He would hit V-triggers. Omega and Takeshita would have a New Japan-esque matchup here, like the style of match you would see if Kenny was over in New Japan. So to see Omega and Takeshita have that matchup here in AEW, it was great to see Um, towards the end of the match. After Takeshita threw everything at Kenny, even hitting a um, Avalanche, Blue Thunder Bomb, and Kenny kicking out. Takeshita is completely just like, okay, what can I do? He's just lost at this moment. Don Callis would tell Takeshita to distract the ref, and as Kenny is like head leaning onto the ropes, Don Callis, he would pull a screwdriver out of his jacket pocket and try to hit Omega in the head with it. Omega would move, and the screwdriver would just get drilled right into the mat. Now, Omega is battling with Takeshita. He gets Takeshita up for the one-week angel, but Takeshita would have this uh, screwdriver in his hand and in his possession, and he's about to use it, but the referee would confiscate the screwdriver away from Takeshita. Uh, Takeshita would reverse the one-week angel into a roll-up. Kenny would reverse it, get one-two. Takeshita would kick out of it. Takeshita then will hit Kenny with a knee strike to the face. He'll pin Omega. Omega will kick out at two. And Takeshita will then say, screw it. I'm going to pull down my uh, knee pad and go bare bone with it. And Takeshita will hit Kenny right in the face with a knee without the knee pad. And Takeshita would win the match one, two, three. So it's not just... Takeshita beating Omega is Takeshita beating Omega literally back-to-back weekends. Takeshita was the one that got the win on Omega last week at AEW All-In, and now Takeshita will get the win on Omega here in All-Out. So Takeshita, he's now 2-0 against Omega, and that was a good look because it seems that they want to do something with Takeshita, especially with the plan of Don Callis trying to build his family. You see what his family has uh, been able to do with Takeshita beating Omega not once but twice back to back weekends. Uh, Will Ospreay under the wing of Don Callis. Um, Will Ospreay has beaten Kenny Omega at Forbidden Door and he just beaten Chris Jericho last week at All In. So this can give validity to Don Callis trying to find younger talent to say, Hey, look what I've been able to accomplish with my family. Come along with me, I'm able to help your career. Yada, yada, yada. So we'll have to wait and see what they'll do with that. But I can see Takeshita becoming a major player more and more 
He could probably go after uh, a championship. He could probably go after a Ring of Honor title if he wants to do that too. But I just see Takeshi going after anything that he wants to because now he's been solidified. Pinning Kenny Omega twice. That doesn't really happen a lot like that. And for Takeshi to get it, that tells you they want to do something with him relatively, if not right now, relatively soon in the future. So we'll have to watch out what they're going to do with Takeshi there. And we have to wait and see what they do with Kenny Omega too. Now, next matchup, eight-man tag. Bullet Club Gold going against FTR and the Young Bucks. Bullet Club Gold would win this match by pinfall when Jay White would hit Cash Wheeler with uh, the Blade Runner and Colton Gunn would get the cover for the win. This was a fun eight-man tag matchup here. The crowd really was uh, booing the Young Bucks because this is punk country. And you know the funny part? They didn't boo Hangman on the pre-show. They didn't boo Kenny Omega in his matchup. They boo the Young Bucks. So it tells me that Chicago doesn't like the Young Bucks. Just point blank period. Um, They didn't boo FTR. They cheered FTR and they also cheered Bullet Club Gold. The only people that were just outliners was the Young Bucks. But that didn't matter. Because FTR and the Young Bucks, they actually worked pretty well throughout this whole entire matchup. Um, They were able to lock in four-man sharpshooters on Bullet Club Gold. There was a moment where... Dax would be able to hit the power and glory uh, suplex on, I believe it was Jay White. And then you saw Cash jump up and hit a body splash. Matt Jackson followed up with an elbow drop. Nick Jackson with a 450. Um, There'll be a moment where you see just FTR and Young Bucks just doing different variations of each other's moves. Matt and Dax will be able to hit the spike pile driver. Nick and I believe Dax will be able to hit um, the Shatter Machine, um, Cash, and I believe it was Matt hit double super kicks. I mean, this just showed that the Young Bucks and FTR, whether people like to admit it or not, they're actually able to work together. They actually, I believe, don't have any problems with each other backstage. And if they do, they're able to disguise it hella well in that ring. But you could just see while the Young Bucks were on the ring apron and one member of FTR was on the apron you just saw like one of them talk to the young bucks and just they had a smile on their face so i feel that they have no beef with each other it was just that it was just a cm punk component here that people just didn't really vibe with so other than that uh fun eight-man tag but bullet club gold again as i said with Takeshi too they won back to back they beat golden elite last week at all in and then they beat ftr and the young bucks here at all out so it just seems that it's on the way up for bullet club gold as they show up either on dynamite or collision is now either one that they want to show up on and they could just uh conquer any show now moving over to our main event the aew international championship match orange cassie the champion going against the challenger john moxley and john moxley will become the new international champion after hitting a high angle death rider for the win after hitting one death rider already and that did not put orange cassidy down so he went for the high angle after orange cassidy got up and orange cassidy is bleeding and he just like orange cassidy style flips the bird off at john moxley and orange cassidy would just die on his shield and eat the high angle death rider from john and john will win the match um, story of this, as everybody knows, John Moxley is here. He's a brawler. He's a brute. He's going to just basically pick someone's body apart piece by piece because that's just what Blackpool Combat Club do. Um, Orange Cassidy, he's here. He's defended the title. I believe they said a 32 times the most any person has ever been able to do in AEW with any championship. And Orange just is beaten down. His body's broken down, man. He had kinetic tape on his back, on his lower spine. He had his hand wrapped, like, wrapped up. I mean, my guy was down. But Orange Cassidy put on a hell of a fight, but Mox, he was just fresh as a daisy. He came in, beat up on Orange Cassidy. He made my man bleed, and I mean heavy bleed. John Moxley, he did not bleed in this. I was surprised by that, because the typical formula is John Moxley has to bleed, but he didn't. So Mox will make Orange Cassidy bleed. He will put Orange Cassidy through all types of hell, beat up on him, start busting his body apart piece by piece, even bite him from time to time. Uh, 
Orange Cassidy, he would have some little glimmers of hope towards the end of the match, hitting multiple orange punches on John Moxley, even hitting an orange punch and then hitting a spear, like an homage to Roman and a little kind of like jab to Moxley because Moxley's cool with Roman in their time in the Shield. So you had that there. There was also a spot outside of the match where um, Moxley, he will pull up a part of the outside of uh, matting to cover the concrete. And Mox tried to hit a pile driver on Orange Cassidy, but Cassidy would reverse it and hit the beach break. And Mox would just hit a nice thud. And that didn't sound right. I know Mox probably is hurting right now. Jesus. But all in all, Moxley is now your new international champion. Um, I think that's great. It gives time for Moxley to elevate that international championship to higher grounds that Orange Cassidy uh, did previously and allow Orange Cassidy to really take a <laughs> vacation. And it's funny, Moxley has been supposed to have this vacation and my man still hasn't had no vacation yet. But uh, Orange Cassidy, after defending the 32 times, there's no way you're not going to tell me that that guy does not need a vacation to really recoup his body. So with Moxley winning, he is now your new international champion. Uh, Orange Cassidy, he's going to recoup. And that's where we're at. And that's how all that would end with Blackpool Combat Club coming out to help Moxley outside of the ring up the ramp. And Moxley's your new champion. And this would give Orange Cassidy to get that standing ovation from the crowd because the crowd appreciate what Orange Cassidy was able to do with that international championship. So, with all that out of the way, that has been your WWE Payback and your AEW All Out reviews. I hope you guys enjoyed the review. I hope you guys had a uh, great Labor Day weekend. Today is Labor Day, the day that I dropped this episode here. And I hope you guys just enjoy yourself. And with that being said, you guys will hear from me again on Wednesday's Midweek Breakdown where I talk about any and everything. Um, you'll hear from me again with wrestling topics on Saturday's Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And you'll hear from me also, if you don't listen to that, um, Sunday, when I talk about things in the news. And if you didn't listen to my last Sunday episode, which I came out yesterday, it's called Investigation. Go and listen to that. And with that being said, this has been your My Two Cents Podcast reviews of AEW's All Out and WWE's Payback. Enjoy your day. I'll see you guys soon. But I wanna know for sure.